Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoka, who is a real estate investor, particularly specializing in passive real estate and rental income. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Lane. Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Let's just start with your story, quite an interesting story. You got out of school and kind of just briefly tell the story of how you started getting into uh, the passive income real estate world. Well, it started pretty boring. So I grew up in Hawaii, went to the school on the mainland, went to get an engineering job or engineering degree, followed this linear path. But then I discovered some resistance in my first job. I was traveling all the time. I was making pretty good money. But then I bought a home, lived in the home, wasn't really home too much because I was traveling so much. So then I started to rent it out. And then I started to realize, wow, I was making a lot of money, you know. Like this, uh, there's quite a big, big delta between how much the rents were bringing in and how much the mortgage was. And then the light bulb went off, and I started reading all the the Kiyosaki books and just killing podcasts left and right. And I uh, started to go down this path of building passive cash flow with these rentals. So the big problem for people is is buying the homes. Where do you come up with the capital or the credit rating to buy a lot of rental homes? So my story is I just was a cheap guy who saved his money. My expenses were pretty low because I was traveling so much. I literally didn't live anywhere for three, four years. So I was able to save quite a bit of money doing this. And I just did things the old-fashioned way with the 20 25% down payment for the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan on these things. And I, you know, a lot of people preach on no money down, get rich quick. I mean, I really don't. I, I didn't do that, and you know I was short on time because I was working a full-time W-2 job as an engineer. So uh, that's really my secret to success is just saving money, and just once you get saved the money, just get on that escalator and buy that first rental. So today, a lot of people are in rental real estate, and therefore the prices have gone up in many cases, and the capitalization rates, or so-called cap rates, have come down, meaning it's less attractive than it was before. How can somebody starting today in 2017 be successful in the rental income business? Yeah, so when I was starting a bunch of few years back, I was buying these turnkey rentals, you know, these $100,000 homes that rent for about a thousand bucks. Back then, they were kind of renting for a little bit better. We, we look at this at the rent to value ratio, you know, how much rent does it bring in per month? You divide it by the price of the home. And it needs to be around that 1% rule. But, you know, back then I was buying these homes and I was cash flowing about 300, 400 bucks because, the, like you said, the market wasn't as hot as it was now. And I help people buy these turnkey rentals today and I'm seeing $150 to $200 of cash flow, which, you know, if you do the cash and cash return, it's, you know, it's high single digits, low double digits. But that doesn't include the mortgage pay down, that the tenant's paying down, the tax benefits, and then the appreciation, if you get that. I don't really consider appreciation part of the gain. But I'm like, look, guys, like, what what else are you doing that's better? You know, I, I look at this stuff like this is like the, yeah, you know, like what else can you find that beats this, this return? These turnkey rentals, this rental real estate, when you combine all the ways you're making money doing this, you're probably looking at anywhere from 20 to 30% plus. I mean, like take that stock market at 8 to 10% when it's not really tied to a hard asset. 
So how does this compare to investing in stocks, where most people think that's the real way to get rich in the long run? So investing in stocks, that really got popular, what, in the 1950s? I don't know. I mean, traditional investing, that's brick and mortar, rental real estate. And somewhere between back then and now, this this term of traditional assets and alternative assets, which they kind of put real estate in that category today, got coined as, you know, this is like the dogma that all these big companies are putting out there that, you know, they want us to all put our money in this 401k or mutual funds or ETFs. But really, the, you know, the middle, the middle class person like myself, who's going to work every day, we're just getting screwed left and right. I mean, we're taking all these fees out and we don't even know. I mean, yeah, the expense ratio looks like 0.03, but that's not including all the other stuff that they're hidden. I mean, it's just so convoluted and just goes back to all this Wall Street dogma, putting your money into that. I mean, think about it. If everybody did rental real estate, then everybody would probably be retired in about 10 to 15 years. I mean, that'd be no way to run a country, right? So what what are the fees that Wall Street's charging that most people don't know about? As you say, if you're in an index fund, it's going to be a pretty low management fee. What are the other fees you're complaining about that Wall Street's charging? You know, Jordan, I honestly don't know. I can't make sense of those things. And all I know is I'm making 20 to 30 percent on my my direct investments as real estate. And I look at all these other stocks and mutual funds and, you know, they're saying 8 to 10 percent. Well, then, you know, look at the difference. There's like a 10 to 20 percent delta there. Like, what the heck? Where did all my money go? You know, it's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the other thing about rental real estate is it's not liquid. Um, so what if you need, the, need to get the money somehow and, and you don't have the liquidity of stocks that you can sell them right away? Well, then we're just kind of talking about more personal problems there. You need to have your own cushion of, you know, some liquid assets in case, you know, somebody gets hurt or you lose your job. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, three to six months of expenses. But we have to think, like, why the heck are we doing this? I mean, we're trying to build passive streams of income so that we can retire, whether that's in 30 years or five years from now. I mean, this these are the assets that we're trying to build so it produces income. I mean, the traditional sense of investing is to save your money in the stock market so you can accumulate 2 to $3 million so you can live off at 5% a year. And that's a, that's that's the income right there, off the 5% is the income. But why, why do you start with trying to hope and pray that you get that large amount as opposed to just starting building passive streams of income today. I mean, that just makes more sense to me. So what you're saying is you're taking the passive income from the rentals and pouring it into new properties and building a portfolio that way. That's the strategy you you have in mind? Yeah, if you want to go like the 30,000-foot strategy, what I suggest is people just start accumulating rentals, you know, one property at a time. And you're usually getting about like three to four hundred bucks of passive income per property, depending on how large your property is and how much it rents for. But you just prudently, you know, keep acquiring these things, maybe one or two a year. And then once you've got, a, you know, five to six of them, now you're probably buying two a year. And as you can see, this passive cash flow column, it's, it's building up pretty slowly. So once you get about, you know, three to six thousand, now you start thinking, hey, do I even need to work at my job? And you know, those five to $6,000 of passive income while you're working at your job. Now you can be buying three to four rentals a year and it's just skyrocketing and exponential growth. And then the stage two is, you know, it all comes down to your goals. Like how much money do you want to live and what kind of lifestyle you, you want to live? And it comes down to like, what's your passive 
cash flow per month that you're looking for. And we talk about this a lot in the Simple Passive Cash Flow podcast is I ask, you know, what number are you shooting for? And to back your engineer from, to that number. So once you have, let's just say you just need a $10,000 of passive cash flow a month. Well, how many homes is that? So try and get up to that home count. And then it's not, now it's maybe now, maybe now it's time to start paying off your properties. And at that point, they call that the crossover point where you're not in equity growth mode, but more pay down, you know, debt removal mode. So you're doing individual homes. Do you also do uh, rental apartments and, and multifamily or do you only do individual homes? Yeah, so I got up to 11 single family homes and I kind of realized that this it's not going to get me to my number that I'm really looking for my my ultimate goal. And I've met a lot of people, you know, through networking that are more higher level investors. And this is kind of the sentiment that a lot of people come to is, you know, you have 10 single family homes and we just use that number because each person is allowed to get 10 Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, those nice golden ticket government subsidized loans. And if you do the math, you know, $300 per rental, you know, you're making $3,000 of passive income. I mean, that's nice, but it's, you're still probably going to have to, a job, and yeah, it's going to outpace inflation. And maybe if your wife has ten, uh, in addition, so now you guys have twenty, and twenty times three hundred is six thousand dollar passive cash flow a month. Maybe that's enough to live, you know, when you, your expenses are lower. But some people they want ten to twenty thousand dollars a month, and you know, at some point, if you're trying to get twenty, thirty, forty, fifty of these single family homes, it's just going to get a little over, overwhelming. So again, like so, what I said is like, what, what, what is your goal? So what are you trying to go get to? So personally, I'm trying to get get into these apartment buildings, and I'm, right now I'm an apartment syndicator. So I put together deals and bring passive investors in who aren't really looking to do the legwork themselves. So how is that different to do uh, rental apartments where you have multifamily as opposed to doing individual homes and in the purchase and the management of it all? So the purchase, uh, you know, buying a single family home, it's a lot of work in terms of working with the lender. It, you know, it takes 45 days to purchase the home. You have to do all the due diligence, which is the inspector, getting all the title work done, you know, calling around, just vetting the neighborhood, vetting the property. And, you know, it just seems like for a few days every week for those four or five weeks that the lender is constantly bombarding you with emails. So it's, it's a little difficult to do. What I think that people should think about is, you know, how much time is it worth it? And we talked about these no money down deals, and that's a lot of work. I mean, you need to figure out what you have in terms of time, money, and knowledge. Those are three resources that you have as an investor, and you need to have self-awareness of what you have and how does it best fit in the best strategy. And that's something I can kind of talk to people when they call into uh, my website. But I think multifamily, it's, it's a lot less work for the units. I mean, yeah, it, you know, if you're buying a $4 million apartment complex, it's a, little, it's a lot more work in general, but per unit, it's way, way less work. So it's a lot more scalable. And yes. it just seems like you're getting a lot higher quality vendors you're working with in terms of lenders, you know, instead of hiring, you know, mom and pa cabinet company who may or may not show up because their son Billy is sick, now you're getting ABC huge contracting company who has like a three hundred thousand dollar contract with you and they will be there. 
it's like much more reliable that way. Yes. Very yeah. Good. So it's 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 different. Some people like to get roll up their sleeves and get dirty. Some people have just a too big ego that they can't let that stuff go. I mean, yeah. me personally, I would rather you know work with higher level people and do bigger deals. It just seems like it's more it's just more scalable. And then the other thing is what I try and do these days is if you think of all the properties out there, I try and stay below $10 million on purchase prices because you go anything higher than that, you're dealing with the institutional players and they're just looking for capital preservation and you want to stay right below those guys. But you also want to stay above the $1 million mark because like you said earlier, there's all these mom and pa investors out there that are not very sophisticated in this real estate investing. Yeah. And, you know, real estate investing is so good that you can have a bad strategy and still do pretty dang good. So if you want, you want to separate yourself from there. So usually when you stay above a $1 million, you kind of stay, you know, you kind of get all that competition zone. And there's this nice little sweet spot between $1 to $10 million. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoki. Kaoka, uh, who is, uh, his website is simplepassivecashflow.com. You can see he's an expert on uh, rental income real estate. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoka. He is an expert in passive income real estate. Uh, His website is simplepassivecashflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Lane. Good to be back. So tell us what people can find at that website, simplepassivecashflow.com. So my main avenue is the podcast. I figured out, you know, being an engineer, I don't really write very well. So I, you know, I began with some articles, but now it's mostly just me talking 
about you know different parts of you know episodes that come up in my real estate investing uh you know issues that i run in through my portfolio different nuances that i think about when investing you know going from single family homes to multifamily and i have a lot of interviews of people that i've networked with that come on and you know it's just interesting to get into the mindset of an investor it's you truly have the abundance mindset as opposed to that you know go to work scarcity mindset where they're just thinking about the next 30 years working at their job or 29 years on their mortgage is truly like you know they have the passive income so there's a story that I think about a lot is you know Forrest Gump when he comes back to the mailbox and he finds that check from Lieutenant Dang with uh, all that Apple stock that blew up you know he says to himself well now money I don't have to really think about that anymore you know check the box and this is what a lot of these people come on my podcast and they it's it's kind of neat to hear them and definitely gets me a lot of good ideas and cool things to buy or aspire to. So what is the difference in mentality between being a uh, working for a company for a wage, W-2, versus being an entrepreneur and kind of making things on your own where you don't have a company behind you? What is the kind of mentality shift you need to make to make that be successful? I think in one word, it's being engaged. I mean, if you're an employee in that Kiyosaki quadrant of, you know, just being a worker, you're building someone else's dream and you're just trading your time for money. And you're doing silly things like not taking the toll bridge to save 30 minutes. And we all know intuitively or intellectually that time is your most important resource. But until you get passive cash flow and you freed yourself from your job, you don't start really living it. And I, I, I have the problem all the time, you know, being, you know, cheap, cheap guy in my 20s that you know, now it's it's more about growth and contribution, it seems like, you know, yeah, I freed myself now, but what the heck am I going to go about doing now? Am I just going to go travel around the world and take selfies of myself and take pictures of my food? Or is there something else that I can do that's bigger now that I've, you know, created the time? Well, so it gives you, gives you the room for aspirations, basically. <clears throat> so tell me about what you've built up. How many houses or apartment buildings. Give me a sense of the portfolio you've built up now and how long that took to happen. So I don't really have that much to show for. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just turned 31, but I'm pretty dang close to leaving my W2 job. And the the podcast and website was just a way to show people that you can do it too. And I think a lot of you hear a lot of people, oh, I own, uh, you know, 10,000 units or 1,000 units. I mean, in actually, they only probably own 5% of those 10,000 units. But I think a lot of people are put off about this. And that's why the website's kind of, it's a little raw. It's a little, you know, seems a little unprofessional. But hey, you know, like I, I wanted to inspire the regular person to just buy that first rental. Because they once they buy that first rental, they're like, oh my God, like I see it. I see the matrix. Like I see how this all works. And I see the path to getting financially free by just, you know, buying one rental here every year, and then I'm buying two, and then I'm buying three. And they, they see that I wanted to show that, you know, just a regular guy, I'm just a regular guy from Hawaii, and, I, and nothing's really special about me. Yeah, people say I have, like, you know, all these degrees in engineering, but, you know, it's just really nothing special. This real estate stuff is pretty simple, and that's, that's the thing of the, that's why I chose that title, Simple Passive Cash Flow. I mean, it's pretty simple to just buy these single-family homes with some help of other people and just getting the guidance that, 
you know, once you get that passive cash flow, the hard part is figuring out what you're going to do after. So if people have not done that before and want to start buying rental income, do you consult with them or how do you help people who want to get into the game? I don't really know, Jordan. I'm trying to figure that as I go along. I mean, I've helped a lot of my friends buy turnkey rentals. Um, a lot of people will email me. And, you know, I, I'm i sure you see a lot of people who, you know, differentiate between givers and takers out there. A lot of people like to take, 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 take. They ask a question, 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 like a question train. And I know that they'll get, yeah, they'll, they'll find their way and they'll buy their rentals eventually. But it's like, these people really aren't don't really get it. Like they, they're not going to be the ones who builds a fortune and really gives it back. So I'm not too inclined to help those people out. But for most people, it seems like, you know, they they ask questions, they see how they can add value to others, and you know, I help them as best as I can. Uh, you know, I, I've got providers that I work with that do the turnkey rental stuff. Um, you know, I do my own syndications. Uh, I mean, it, it comes back down to my avatar. I mean, my parents were, you know, they were, they had a lot of education, but they still didn't have the time when I was growing up to really um, spend the time with me that they should have. And maybe that's just a, a downside of the baby boomer generation that they were too, you know, they were too duty oriented or, and they felt like they had to go to work all the time. But, you know, this day and age, you know, I see a lot of 30 to 30, 40 year olds, 45 year olds. And I'm just like, if you guys just buy one freaking rental, you guys, you know, one of you guys don't have to go to work 50, 60 hours a week, you know, so it's freeing you up to, to do more significant things is what you're saying. Basically. Right. Right. Now, when those, you- right. Those are the people I like to help is that, you know, that young couple with the two, three year old. And they just see the writing on the wall. They're just going to be like their parents who never had any time. But now we need to do something different. We need to buy, get on that this path to passive real estate. So when you talk about turnkey rentals, does that mean uh, an existing house that's already being rented? Or what do you exactly mean? And how do you get into good turnkey rentals? So the turnkey rental term is passed around. Um, and it means a l- whole bunch of different things. Uh, for the most part, it's this, it's, what it not is is this is the wholesale route where you buy a house, you have to do all the rehab. I mean, this is the turnoff to a lot of people. I mean, I never wanted to do that. I was short on time working my full-time W-2 job. I made more money in an hour than I would screwing around with all that stuff. So for a lot of people in my situation who get pretty good salaries, they they rather just have the finished product. You know, they don't want to go soup up the car. They just want to go buy the cool Mercedes or Lexus. You know, this is what this stuff is. It's a, it's a tenant-grade home that pr- provides a good housing and provides a good investment that produces stable cash flow in the future. Yeah, so it's already ready. It's not, you don't have to put any money into it. Mean, what is the, for somebody who doesn't want to do it that way but wants to buy something not in great shape, buy it a lot cheaper, and then fix it up, is, is, that, is there an argument to be made for that uh, strategy as well? It comes down to your self-awareness. Like I said, the three resources are time, money, and knowledge. I mean, I see a lot of people who don't have any knowledge, they're short on time, and they have money. Those people should not be doing, you know, get their, get, you know, get their hands dirty and start doing this stuff. I mean, the, let the people who don't have good jobs don't have money to go and screw around with that stuff, I say. I mean, I 
I have a, I had a good job. I worked hard. I you know I I studied hard in college and I worked hard to get my first job, and I was good at that. So I have money. I don't have time, but I have a little. No- I had a little knowledge getting started, and that's why I went down this path. So it all comes down to your self awareness of yourself. Put yourself in the best situation. Now there's a lot of institutions, as you say, that have come into this market, buying individual homes, buying apartment buildings, because they've got billions of dollars to invest. So how and and they're going to pay cash for homes or, or apartment buildings. How can the average person buying one home at a time compete with all these big institutions coming into the market? So from what I see, you know, this was big in the back in 2012. They're not really doing it too much these days, but you know, they would come in and they would have they come in and find these cookie cutter homes that are in the D D class areas. That's what they would key in on. They buy these huge tracks. But I think what we don't realize, Jordan, is that the mom pa investor, which I am, I probably say I'm a little more sophisticated than your normal mom pa investor. There's really not too many of us. I mean, yeah, we hear about it a lot, but little, there's little to no people that really take action and do it. And there's truly an abundance of these pro- these properties that you can pick up if you do the research, you meet with the right people, and you do it. A lot of people that talk about it, but you're saying people. Like they take courses and they, there's all kinds of flipping, uh, you, know, uh, you know, make a lot of money flipping real estate. There's a lot of people talking about it, but you're saying a lot of people don't actually end up pulling the trigger. Right. And let's just talk about the flipping stuff. I mean, that's just the dramatized, sexy stuff that's on TV. And that's, it drives me crazy because I think that's a horrible investment strategy. I mean, I'm here in Seattle and the prices of their average home is 600 grand, and they're saying the only place to make money is on the higher-end projects. And I'm like, well, what happens in a market correction? You're totally screwed. I mean, I don't like to gamble. I go on the sure thing, which is cash flow. If the market corrects, then in theory, my rentals get stronger because everybody can't live in their, their homes and have to come to my C-class, B-class rentals. So, so, and, so you're saying the high-end strategy you think is the riskiest strategy is what you're saying. Right. That and the whole flipping entirely. I mean, I have this theory about investing with, as, with this pyramid where on the bottom you should have prudent cash-flowing rentals. And then you can go do development and more riskier things like land deals and stuff like that, which is totally the opposite of what they teach you in the stock market. Right. I mean, they teach you to do the most riskiest thing up front, which is index funds, and then titrate down to more bonds and you know those stable a- assets nearing retirement. Yeah, and you you looking at it the completely opposite way. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoki Kaoka. Uh, his website is simplepassivecashflow.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoka. Uh, He is a real estate expert. Uh, His website is simplepassivecashflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Lane. Good to be back. So let's talk about borrowing a little bit. So uh, somebody has to put their credit on the line when they're borrowing to get a mortgage to buy these homes, or should they deal with private lenders? What what are the the, the keys in getting a good mortgage on these rentals that you'll be buying? So the first step with getting a, you're going to, you know, the whole reason why we do this real estate investing is leverage. And in America, I mean, we get the sweetest leverage of us all, like with this Freddie Mac and uh, Fannie Mae loans. And each person can get 10 of these golden tickets. And what this is, is, you know, the, they have to fit in a certain box. They have to, you know, have to have certain, you know, credit score, debt to income ratio, Cash reserves. I just did a pretty good podcast with my uh, my friend Shaley uh, last week, and we went over all the the nuances and what you need, what metrics you have to meet. But these are the good thirty year fixed rate loans that everybody wants to get. And you know, right now you're looking at five percent less for a non owner occupied home investment property for twenty percent down at, and that's a eighty LTV again loan to value. But these you can get at any bank. You know, you don't have to just go to the big, you know, Bank of America, Chase. But you have to fit into their credit criteria. You're saying, what if you don't? What if you do not aren't able to check off all those boxes? Well, it's it's pretty hard to meet that criteria, and you need to show a lot of documentation, which is no excuse. The first thing to do is go to a lender, which is really any lender, and have them run your credit profile. I mean, I recommend. I always send people to the same person because it's always, you know, they know how to show your story to the underwriter and that underwriter is the one fitting yourself into the box to, to being able to qualify yourself for the loan. All right. But I'm saying, what if you do not fit in the traditional box and the underwriter is going to reject you because your credit isn't good enough. You don't have a 20% down. I mean, you're saying this is something the average person can do, but you've got to have pretty good credit to do it. So what if you don't have that? Well, first of all, if you don't have the down payment, you got to save your money, buddy, because we're talking about different problems here. We're talking about personal finance 
problems. I mean, Grant Cardone says, first you got to save your money, then you got to grow it, then you got to multiply it. So if you can't save it, I mean, that's the first problem. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you should be doing real estate investing in the first place. If you can't save your money, if you can't not spend more than you make. So one thing that people use is hard money loans. Maybe describe what that is and when is that appropriate way to acquire rental real estate? So hard money is typically used in flips. So like if you're trying to do a, you know, buy a $200,000 home, you're going to put $100,000 into it. You're going to need a $300,000 hard money loan unless you have the money. So what that is, it's kind of at higher rates, usually about anywhere from 10 to 30% interest rate you're paying per year. I mean, it's pretty high, almost like, uh, you know, gambler's money right there, that loan shark money. And this is all short-term debt, you know, because, you know, you're doing a flip project and it's not going to take very long. So, and you should be making good profit. They sh- you should be able to incur these costs and still, you know, have your profit margins there. Hard money or this private, this, this type of lending is really not conducive to this long-term passive income strategy. I mean, you need that long-term 30-year fix. I mean, once you get 10 loans to your name, now you have to start looking into portfolio loans. But even those, you know, you're looking at 25-year amortizations at 3 to 5% a year. I mean, that's that's really what you need to make the numbers work. If you don't have the money, if you don't have the credit before, profile, you need to get it. You need to improve your credit score. You need to save the money. I'm sorry, I can't help you. I, I don't work with people that have no job, no income, no credit, no money. So how about uh, dealing, because there are a lot of people who say that people in that circumstance can make a huge money. There's all these seminars, you say, TV shows about fixing and flipping with no money down. You're, you're saying all of that is completely a, a scam. Well, it's not a scam, but it's not passive. It's very active. You've got mm-hmm. to put in the sweat equity and do it. I mean, my simple passive cash flow is for people who work hard at their W-2 job or have money, and they're looking for simple passive cash flow. Not the super active, doing this here and there, finding deals, working every single hour of the day, cash flow. <laughs> yeah. So if, if your credit isn't great, but you have an idea or you know about properties, can you partner with other people that might have good credit uh, to make it happen that way? Is that, is that another way for people who, to get into the game if they don't have good credit yet themselves? Yeah, and that's that's a way to work with somebody like myself who has like the experience and you know the the money to fund deals is to get linked up with someone like myself and bring the deal. I mean, this day and age in the market, you know, money is not hard to find. It's it's pretty easy. You the, the hard thing to find is deals, and it usually changes from back and forth. You know, when we have the next correction, the deals would be so easy to find, but it's hard to find money. So there's always equilibrium between money and deals. So I, what I would say is try and link up with somebody. I'm, I'm always trying to find people with good deals, and I always bring them in as a partnership. Give them, you know, definitely give them part of the deal because that deal is so hard to find. So if somebody has a good deal and maybe define what a good deal is, they could bring that to you, and you could help them get financing. Is that what you're saying? That's right. And so what are you looking for that makes a deal good? So when I do my uh, apartment syndications, I underwrite the deal to double investors' money in five years. So that's twenty percent IRR. So you know, if you started with, if you invested hundred grand, you're going to get twenty grand every year for five years. That's what I underwrite my properties to. It's not always doesn't always work out like that, but 
I won't really go into investment unless I'm pretty confident that I can hit those metrics and exceed expectations. And that's cash flow only. That's not counting appreciation in five years. Is that right? That's that's counting both. So a lot of these deals in syndication, you have a little bit of cash flow in the beginning, like in the single digits, but you get this large kicker at the end. So when you average it all out, you know, in, in this case, in this example, 100% over five years, and you divide it by five years to get 20%. So how would that work how- out? If you have a downturn in the real estate market, had you started that strategy in 2004 and you hit 2008, 2009, you don't get the appreciation. Your real estate's falling dramatically. How would you deal with it in that circumstance? Yeah, so that's why I like the classy multifamily route because a lot of it, the appreciation that you're doing is forced equity. So what that is, is you're going in doing improvements that you're capitalizing on property mismanagement or different inconsistencies in the market where you're, you're doing this independent of the market. So like, for example, you, know, you have an apartment building and you have 10 um, parking spaces out there and now you start charging 10 bucks for reserve parking a month. Mm-hmm. It increases your cash flow is what you're saying. Right. And, and property multifamily is based on the, the income approach as opposed to comps. So whatever income that thing brings in has a direct correlation to how much that property is worth. I mean, there's, you can get into the weeds of all this NOI calculations and cap rates, but it's pretty much a formula. So I mean, if I, if that thing was trading at a 10 cap rate, just to make things easy, and I created, you know, 12, $1,200 $1,200 of you know new income every year. I just increased that property value by 12 grand right there. I just created that by just making one decision. And that's the stuff that's independent of the market. So you don't buy a property unless you have a long laundry list of all these things that you can improve. So even if the, the even if the market does correct, you still increase the income. You're, so still you're selling gonna, it ultimately on a, on a, 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 a number of times of income. So if you get the income up, the value is going up, either if, even if the real estate market's going down in a particular market. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. And you bought an asset that was performing. Yeah, it wasn't optimized, but it was still making cash flow. It was still, you know, people were still living in there. It was still working, and it was still bringing in cash flow. And then the, again, the theory is that when things things get tough, people come into this Class C, Class B multifamily. And this is why I don't like staying anywhere near that high-end real estate that you know people gra- seem to gravitate towards because they see it on the TV. In a correction, people can't afford Class A multifamily or Class A single-family homes. That's the stuff that, that takes the nosedive. So Class B and C, this is like working class? or why would, How would you describe Class B and C? And, and again, what is the advantage of that over a higher-end people where they're going to be wealthier kind of uh, renters? So class A is all the rich people. I mean, these are all the blue-collar jobs. I mean, this is very indicative of like Seattle or, or downtown Los Angeles where people got a lot of money. It's the luxury homes. Class B is more blue-collar mix. You know, these are a lot of wage wage earners, factory workers. And this is where the... This is where the average Americans live in this B to C class. C class is a, a notch below B class. You know, you might have only one working spouse. Um, you know, the, the, again, this is just how America is is built. I mean, this is where I think a lot of people 
get sticker shock when they see a $100,000 home that rents for $1,000 here on the West Coast. But then I say, like, no, most people live like this. We are the crazy ones paying two to $5,000 for our mortgages here in Seattle. You'd think those kind of people would be most subject to layoffs. And when the economy gets worse, people in the middle and lower part of society get hurt first. Right. And that's why, you know, when you're looking for a market to invest in, you look for a secondary market. You know, you don't look for the primary markets like Seattle, Dallas, uh, New York, Boston. I mean, those are the places where all these institutional money is and unsophisticated investors, which you talked about earlier. And those are the peop- those are the competition areas that you want to stay away from. But we go to these secondary markets uh, out there like Kansas City, Memphis, Birmingham. You know, Atlanta might be a primary market, but it's kind of definitely on that second tier. You know, these are stable, large markets with robust economies. So, like, I mean, Detroit used to be a secondary market, but it didn't really have a robust economy, right? So that's kind of a, diff- a nuance there. Do you always go and visit the properties or, and then you have a property manager? If you're in Seattle, how are you going to manage rentals and Memphis and, and Birmingham. <laughs> so in the beginning, I didn't, which people think is crazy. But if you think about it, you're you know you're for each rental, you're only making like a few grand of passive cash flow a month. And you know, like I said, your time is more important to go fly out to Birmingham, right? I mean, there's really not much to go hang out and do around there. But I, I have now, you know, since I you know I help other people buy rentals, and I have a bigger portfolio there, and you know, just to meet the team, it's it's all people. I mean, there's probably only about eight markets you want to be investing in out there. And I mentioned a few of them. But after that, it's more who do you have a working relationship, who you can, tr- who you can trust. And so do you have uh, management firms and what kind of fee do they charge to manage a remote property like that? Yeah, and that's the difference between a landlord and an investor. An investor gets professional property management to handle everything. They're usually taking anywhere from 8 to 12%. But that's like the best... That's the best money well spent for a good one. So if you're paying them 8 to 12%, that's cutting your cash flow, but you're saying it's worth it because it makes it passive. Right, and you don't buy the property unless those things are accounted for. So you have to have enough of a margin to give 8 to 10, 12% to a property management firm. Right, so this is how the numbers work. I mean, for an average rental that rents for, let's just say, $1,000, 100 bucks goes to the property management, 100 bucks goes to the repairs, Another hundred bucks goes to capital expenditures. You know, it just goes in like a savings bank for large things that go wrong, like the HVAC or the roof. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, about five hundred bucks goes to the PITI, which is the mortgage. So you're left with, you know, a couple hundred bucks, and that's how you underwrite a property pretty quick and dirty. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoka. Uh, he is an expert in passive income. Rental real estate, his website is simplepassivecashflow.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Lane Kawaoka. He is an expert in rental real estate and passive income. His website is simplepassivecashflow.com. Welcome back to the show, Lane. Good to be here for the fourth quarter. <laughs> okay. So one thing that people can do they don't realize is they can buy this passive income real estate inside tax-sheltered accounts, like a health savings accounts, self-directed accounts. So tell us what the advantages of doing that and what are the practicalities of putting a, a rental house in a tax-deferred account? So one of the good things about you can using a thing called a self-directed IRA or self-directed Roth IRA. The, the reason to do that is because you've already sunk money into there. You've kind of you've been down this path of all this dogma of doing the 401k and or these IRAs, and it's stuck in there. And you 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 can give your money over to a custodian. Now you're going to call your your current provider or your current you know whoever you're using like Vanguard or Fidelity, and they're going to tell you you can't do it. But they just don't know it, and of course they're going to tell you that because they want you to buy their their funds, right? So you have to find a custodian that will do this, and there's several of them out there. And um, if you guys want to email me, I have a few that I use. I have a list of them. But what these guys do is they they act as an intermediary between you and and just making sure that you're not going to use the the funds for anything. Uh, you're not going to do any prohibitive transactions. Like, for example, like they, they don't, the government doesn't want you to have any benefit before your retirement. And there's a lot of reading on this, that's, and it's kind of too much to get into. But the good thing about once you have it in one of these accounts, now you can take the money, go buy a turnkey rental, or you can buy a note, or you can do anything. You can you know lend money out of it, and then all the returns that you're making are tax-free. But how can you, you can't get a mortgage inside an IRA or an HSA. How do you, unless you can buy for cash, how do you get a mortgage inside a self-directed account of some kind? Yeah, good, good question. Now, this is, this is why I don't 
particularly like these self-directed IRAs or all this these kind of retirement funds because you have to get a non-recourse loan and the terms on those aren't very good. I mean, instead of getting a Fannie Mae, you know, 30-year, 30, 30 uh, 80% LTV at 5%, now you're looking at of that interest rate going up to like 7% and you need to gonna be, you're going to be needing to bring a lot larger down payment to the tune of... You know, instead of 20% down, you're going to need 30, 40, even 50% down. And in my opinion, it's, the numbers just don't work in that situation. I What I did personally, which a lot of people think like I'm the Antichrist, is I just took all my money out of that 401k, paid the penalties, paid the, paid the taxes. Because the way I figured, yeah, I, I pay the taxes and I pay the 10% penalty. But that 10% penalty, I mean, that's just a word that they all made up. I mean, I, I think that's a privilege to now be making two or three times that every single year. So it, it doesn't matter to you as much that it's growing tax-deferred or tax-free inside an IRA of some kind. Right. Like I say on the podcast, do the math for yourself and come up with your own decisions. Yeah. You talk a lot about legacy building. What, what do you mean by building a legacy with what you're doing here? So, I mean, as you're buying these passive streams of income, I mean, they pretty much run themselves. And you're probably going to think about passing this this off to your kids or, you know, giving back to some way. I mean, it just frees up all these these ideas or these new these new challenges of what do you do with the money, right? I mean, as opposed to now we need to we need to get all the money. Uh-huh. And and what are your suggestions on how people can do that if they've got enough passive income to create a legacy of meaning? Is just sit down with some wine and, and ask yourself, what do you really want to create here? I mean, you, you can, yeah, you should get a lawyer involved and create a trust and figure out how the money is going to be distributed. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, they have a lot of interesting ideas. Like, you know, they want to will all, all the money to their kids, but they have all these caveats like, you know, the kid can't have the money until they're 45 or they can't get the money unless they pass a drug test or they can't get the money unless they go to the Peace Corps or I guess one I like is they need to have, you know, for every $10,000 of passive income that the kid has created, they get $10,000 of passive income from the trust. It's like a matching grant, kind of, yes. Right. I always thought that the biggest thing, you, the biggest value you can give your child is them knowing that they created their wealth for them. And I, mean, I see so many trust fund kids out there, and they're the most saddest people out there. Because they didn't earn it themselves, is what you're saying. Right. I mean, I guess you're saying you're earning. I mean, you're buying existing properties that are producing cash flow. So, I mean, you earn it somewhat, but you didn't build the house. You know, you didn't have to do that much to make this work. Right. I mean, 99% of it was, you know, you mentioned the guy who didn't have any money, no credit. From From going from zero to buying that first property, that's where the biggest challenge comes. Yes. And that's, that, that's the biggest thing. That's that's. That's where you become proud when you look back on this, what you did. That first step is always the hardest. And that's something that you can help people do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I, can't, I can't insure them. You know, there's always risk to real estate. You know, I, I told my friend the other day who picked up his first property, and I was like, you know, I can't guarantee you guys that the HVAC's not going to go out or, you know, the tenant, it'll go vacant for a month or two. But I can I can help you the best way I can to ensure that you don't make the silly mistakes like buying you know being that that unsophisticated California investor who just goes buys a site unseen and you know people are just like taking advantage of them and selling him the sucker property. 
I can yeah. help you out with that, but you just need to buy more properties, right? I mean, I have out of 10 properties, a couple of them are going to lose money out of the year, guaranteed. It's an 80 20, bro. So you have to be diversified that way. So, one way to diversify is syndication. So, what do you do in the syndication market? And when does it make sense for an investor to participate through a syndication as opposed to buying individual properties? So if you're an investor who is skewed more on like your time is super, super valuable, like you're making like over 300 bucks an hour, you're like a physician or a lawyer and spending your time on these dinky little single family homes, building $300 of passive cash flow each with each home doesn't really do it for you. Syndication is a way of doing, getting passive cash flow and scaling infinitely. And what you do is you're going in as a passive investor on, on a lead investor who has more experience and you're leveraging the other p- passive investors to go after a bigger deal, bigger and better deal. And so uh, what are you looking for there? You, is it supposed to be big, the experience? What's the minimum you typically invest? What kind of returns? Explain how that would work. So I like to explain it like uh, with the airplane analogy. So like in the cockpit are the lead investors or the deal sponsors or the leads. There's different terms for them. They all mean the same thing. But, you know, there's a few individuals in there that have the experience. They have the track record. They have the network. And then they find the deal. They put everything together. They raise the money. They find the lender. They operate it. They manage it. And they do everything. And the passive investors, which we're talking here, they come in the plane and I don't know what you do, Jordan, but when you go on a flight to you know, international, but I go in the plane and I sit down and I shut up and I go to sleep and I collect my checks mm-hmm. in this case. So that's a, that's a role. Um, in these syndications, usually the minimum buy-in is $50,000 and you need to be accredited investor and you can go on the SEC website and google what that is but you need to be a high net worth individual and these syndications if they're done the right way they're you know they're kosher with the SEC you know the United States government and and they're typically buying rental uh, apartment buildings or individual homes what are they typically invested in these days So syndication is just a means of pulling money together to go after a larger investment. So they can mean anything from, I mean, I just did like a raise for a Belize hotel, Um, you know, other land investments, developments are pretty common, but I specialize in class C multifamily because, you know, our investors like that single digit cash flow, that stability in case the market corrects. Yeah. And then it's, that it's got a safety margin in it, is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I mean, more risk, more reward, right? Like the the Belize hotel thing. I mean, that's that's has a lot higher return, but you know, it's a hotel property, right? It's you know, in a correction, you're a little bit more uh, out there with that kind of investment. Very good. Okay. Well, terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Lane Kawaoka. Uh, he is a uh, expert in passive income real estate. You can find out more at his website, which is simple passivecashflow.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Layton. Thanks, Jordan. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.